Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. We always start with a passage out of God's Word because we believe that it is the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that works in our lives. If you don't have a Bible this morning but have a smartphone, version, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, is a great app that you can get and it would, would help you and encourage you, I know. Have you ever taken time to think about all of those folks who made an impact on your life? I mean those parents, those teachers, those colleagues, those folks that have entered your life and encouraged you and ministered to you in some very special ways. As I think back on my life, I think when I was a teenager, Bob and Sylvia Will, volunteer youth directors, impacted my life. We had a World Life Club in our church, and Bob would take me out on visitation, and we would take the old reel-to-reel tape players. Remember those? I think Bob took me because I could carry the thing. And we would go to people's homes that didn't necessarily come to church, and we would replay the message from Sunday. Now, that wasn't a real treat for me because my dad was the pastor, and I'd already heard it four times. But I remember sitting in Jeff Miller's living room. His brother was part of our church, and after we got done listening to the message, Jeff received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And as I sat there and was listening to the tape, got all done, and Bob started a conversation. Then he said, Tom, why don't you share with Jeff how he can have that personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I remember Bob Domikos. Uh, Bob was my practical theology professor in college. Bob was a great guy and, and impacted a lot of lives. Bob spoke at my ordination service, and when I introduced him, I said, here's one of my old college professors. He wasn't all that old. Former, certainly, but not old. I remember Don Stickler. Don was the jail preacher in Quincy, Illinois. That was my first ministry. And Quincy, Illinois had two things that were exclusive to them as a small city in the United States. Now, if you wonder where Quincy is, if you know the outline of the Strait of Illinois, Quincy's as far west as you can get. It's right on the Mississippi River and still be in Illinois. Now, the two things that are exclusive to Quincy is it has the most parks per populous person of any city in the United States. The other thing that's exclusive to Quincy is it has the most bars according to population of any other city in the United States. And that was a good thing that it had all the parks because all the people in the bars went to the parks. And Don was the, the jail preacher. 
And he took me with him, and I was introduced to a world that I'd never been introduced to before, and people that I had, would not have known otherwise, and yet people who needed to know God's love and needed to understand something about the wonder of a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. As you think through that in your mind, perhaps you have landed on an individual who mentored you, who shared with you, who, the theological word is, discipled you and helped you to grow in some way in your life. Now, there are three words in the... New Testament, each of them very similar, that help us understand something about being a disciple or about what it takes to be a disciple or about disciple-making or discipleship. The word that's translated disciple most of the time is the word metias. It's used over 250 times in the New Testament. It's used in our text in verse 11 where it talks about the 11 disciples. And that's an individual who has a personal relationship with another individual and is living it out in their lives. The other word that is used is mentheno, which it means learning, and many times it's translated teaching. And that's, that's kind of... What happens when you follow somebody and and they pour their lives into you and and help you understand what it is to live a certain life? The third word is an interesting word, and it's only used four times, and it's the process. It has the idea of helping others understand. It's used in our text in verse 19 where it says, make disciples. And how do you do that? Well, a little further in the text it says, teaching them to observe, verse 20, all things. That's the process. So this morning we want to look very simply, and Pastor John already gave you the outline. We want to look very simply at three qualities necessary in your life if you're going to be a difference maker, a disciple maker for Jesus. And it's here in the text. May I begin and read for you a familiar passage of Scripture? I'm going to start with verse 16 and read down through the end of the chapter, verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I like the transparency of Scripture, don't you? Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we are going to be a difference maker, if we're going to be a discipler, there are three qualities that are necessary 
in our lives. Quality number one is that we must know Jesus. We must know Jesus. Everybody say the word know. Know. Now that's K-N-O-W, not N-O, all right? Now we identified in verse 16 that there were 11 disciples. These 11 disciples knew Jesus. They had been his pupils for three years. They'd seen him take the fish and the bread and break it and feed 5,000 people. Boy, that'll impact your life. They'd seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Whoa, what an event. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him calm the seas when he was in the back of the boat, and they thought they were going to perish. They they were going to die. They had heard him teach his parables. They were with him when he went to that woman of Samaria and told her about worship. They even were taught when the woman was taken in adultery. And Jesus was asked, what shall we do with her? Because the law says stone her. Jesus wrote in the ground and he said, you who is without sin cast the first stone. (laughs) And all his accusers left. I would have left too because I'm not without sin. And Jesus said to that woman, go and sin no more. They knew Jesus. And it wasn't just a common acquaintance type of knowledge. They had a personal relationship with him because they had walked with him, they had listened to him, they had followed him, they had viewed him. And they had studied him for three years. These 11 men, disciples, had been taught by Jesus. And they knew who he was. It is so important in our lives that we know who Jesus is if we're going to be a discipler, a difference maker in the lives of those who are around us. Now, I want you to keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 28, and I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 5. Will you please? 1 John chapter 5. This past week, I had a gentleman in our home an assurance adjuster, looking at some difficulties we had with our home. And in our course of conversation, he said, what do you do? Now what do I say? And I shared with him that I was a pastor, and uh, he asked me where, and I told him where. And he said, let me ask you something. What's your favorite book of the Bible? Probably a safe question for him to ask me. You know what I told him? 1 John. 
First John because it begins with that which we have seen, which we have heard, which our hands have handled the word of life. First John because it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John, because we are reminded of the relationship we have with each other and the relationship we have with each other. And first John, because it tells us what we can know. Are you in first John chapter five? Look with me beginning with verse 13, will you please? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The greatest thing you can know is that you have eternal life. One day, every one of us is going to check out. We'll either check out by the undertaker or the upper taker. We're leaving this world. And when that happens... It is so important that we know we have eternal life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen? I mean, somebody ought to say hallelujah. Uh, uh, This is good stuff, folks. Give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I love this. I and my Father are one. Once you're in, you can't get out. That's John 10. Here John writes, you believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I had a funeral yesterday. It was held right here, Karen Harris. And one of the things that I said at that funeral that I say at most funerals is that that event should sober us because one day we're all going to die. In fact, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment happened. Started way back in the Garden of Eden, where God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to begin to die. And that's chapter 2, and chapter 3 they did, and chapter 4 is Cain and Abel, and chapter 5 is a whole bunch of genealogies. And you know what's true about all those people listed in chapter 5? They died. Now, many of them lived a long, productive life. In fact, the Scripture says that Methuselah lived to the ripe, young age of 969 years. Now, I'm not sure I want to live that long. And you may say, well, how in the world is that possible? I would only say to you, that the effects of sin that have ravaged our lives were not as prominent in the lives of those individuals back in the beginning. And if that explanation is not good enough for you, I would say, God did it. They all died. 
And it would be foolish for us to understand that all die and not prepare for that moment in our lives when we leave this earth. We can prepare for that. We can know we have eternal life. Amen? So how do you know that? Can I quickly lead you through the plan of salvation? We know that because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None righteous, no, not one. The issue in life is not how bad you are, it's how good you're not. The common phrase, nobody's perfect, it's true. All of us fall short of God's holy standard. Now, the good news is, it doesn't matter how far short we are. The bad news is, we're short. And I say good news, it doesn't matter how far short we are, because that puts us all in the same boat. You may be a good sinner, or you may be a bad sinner. You may fall a long way short of holiness, or you may be just a little below the line. But it's not how bad you are, it's how good you're not. And none of us are good enough. And something happens because we're sinners. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember I said... That in chapter 5 of Genesis, you have a list of all these people, and they all died. You know who the first one on that list is? Adam. (laughs) He lived to, to be over 900 years old, but he still died. And I want you to look up here. There's a contrast. Wages. Something that you and I earn because we're sinners. You didn't know you got paid for sinning, did you? You get to die. Gift. Something that you and I do not deserve, but because of God's love and grace and mercy, He freely offers it to us. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the question is, how do you get the gift? The Bible tells us that God demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only way we can get the gift is because of God's demonstration of His love as He sent His Son to the cross to make payment for our sins. That's it, folks. We live in an interesting time in the United States of America. Christmas doesn't mean what it used to. You know what used to get celebrated at Christmas? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That used to be the whole focus of Christmas. It's also interesting in, in our culture that Easter doesn't mean what it used to. Easter is not about little rabbits and eggs. Easter is about how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. That's Easter. And God demonstrated His love toward you and to me as He sent His only begotten Son into the world 
not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? That's God's love. I want you to know God's love this morning. And God loved you enough to send his only son, his only son, to die on a cross to pay the price, the wages for your sin. Now, I've still not answered the question, how do you get the gift? Here it is. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You have to reach out and receive it. God says, here's a gift. Do you want it? And you have to come to the place where you say, yeah, I want that. Your love is so great. I want eternal. I want to know I have eternal life. If you've never done that, You can do it right where you're sitting. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Christ died for my sins. I want to receive the gift of eternal life and know for certain that when I die, I'm going to heaven. First John says, you can know you have eternal life. There are a couple other things that John says we can know. Are you still there in 1 John chapter 5? Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Aren't you thankful that we can know our prayers are answered? Wow! Because I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and I know I have eternal life, I know my prayers are answered. How cool is that? Now, they may not be answered quite the way you want them to be answered, but God will answer them. And may I say, God's ways are always the best ways? Because He knows a whole lot more than I do. Jump down to verse 18, will you please? We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we can have victory over sin. Whoa! There hath no temptation taken you, but such is this common man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Somebody asked me, and I didn't have the right answer. What's the difference between a test and a temptation? Their answer to me was, it's how we respond. It's a test 
if we recognize we have the ability to deal with it. And if we fail the test, it may well be a temptation. Now that's oversimplification. And all of you theologians out there, please don't come to me after the service and say, but did you think of this? This was this other person's conversation, all right? But the reality is, you and I can have victory over sin. Greater is he who is in us. This is First John stuff too. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You don't have to keep on sinning. I am thankful for that. Two more, verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know there's going to be a conflict out there. <laughs> Life's tough, folks. It's tough. Life is difficult. In verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Did you notice the four-letter word that keeps popping up in that verse, the word true? We know there is truth, and we can live according to truth. I don't want to live according to a lie. There's enough liars out there. I want to live according to truth. A month ago, in our deacons meeting, one of our men was sharing devotions. And in the middle of his devotions, he made these statements. It's not, it's truth because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. You ever believe something that wasn't true? <laughs> I believe I could win Publishers Clearinghouse. I mean, I enter every year, right? No. I believe it because it is truth. And we know. Say the word no. No. If we are going to be difference makers, if we're going to be disciple makers, it all begins with knowledge of the one to whom we point people, and that is Jesus Christ. I am thankful for those who serve over at the Early Learning Center. They're difference makers. And if they don't know their material... They can't even teach preschoolers. If you and I are going to be a difference maker in this world, we got to know it. we got to know the only true God, Jesus Christ, who God sent. Amen? Well, let's move on. Not only do we have to know, but we also need to grow. Say the word grow. Now, biblically, we call this progressive sanctification. Turn back to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. I hope you mark that in your Bibles. We need to 
grow. Go therefore, verse 19, disciple all nations, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How are you doing in your growth process? You know, the Bible talks about growth. The Bible says that we are to grow up in Him who is the head. The Bible says as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. The Bible tells us to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to grow. And none of us are exempt from growth. You know why? Because if you stop growing, you die. My wife and I have been married for 46 years. She is down in southern Ohio finishing up her mom's affairs. Hope's come home tomorrow. During the last song set, my phone buzzed, and it was a text from Connie. I'll not read it to you, but it tore me up. Came over to John, and I said, John, pray for me. I just, I lost it. reason I did that is because we have grown so close together. And when she's gone, half of me is gone. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? Have you grown that tight with Jesus? Are you to the place in your, in your Christian life that you continue to learn and develop as you follow Him? I began this message talking about those that have made a difference in my life. Y'all don't know how much a difference you've made in my life. I have grown exponentially in the last eight years as I've been at Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you. Not always easy. That's okay. And that was after 35 years of ministry. You folks have taught me a lot. Thank you. You've helped me to grow. Thank you. And my commitment to you is I'm going to keep growing. I don't want to be stagnant. I want to continue to be challenged and changed and conformed to the character of Christ. That's why we talk so much about next spiritual steps. And may I ask you right now, what is your next spiritual step? And if you don't know, you better figure it out. Because if you don't know what it is, you don't know where you're going and you won't be growing. And let me tell you, after you've been a Christian for a while, that is not an easy assignment. Every year I ask our deacons to identify their next spiritual steps. To write them out. 
And then throughout the year, we challenge each other and we pray for each other and we grow together. Because if our deacons aren't growing, we need to learn to grow. And lastly, we need to learn to show, to show others Jesus. James chapter 2 is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Now, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And over the next number of weeks, we are going to talk about what biblical salvation really means. Okay? James is not contradicting that. When he says, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you by my faith by my works, because faith without works is dead being alone. Here's the deal. If you can't show it, you probably don't know it. I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Actually, I quoted 2, 8. 9 is, not of works lest any man should boast. Verse 10 is, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Show it, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Every day at the early learning center, our staff show the love of Jesus to the kids. And I'll tell you what, that's not easy to preschoolers. Some of you know what I mean. But folks, if we are going to be difference makers, if we are going to disciple people around us, we got to learn to show it. Jesus put it this way, you're the salt of the earth. Salt that isn't salty isn't good for much. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, and you don't put your light under a bushel so nobody can see it. And then he says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What are you showing as you live out your life in this world? Do people want what you have? Do people look at you and say, man, I, I don't know what they got, but I want it. Because they seem to deal with work, with stress a little bit differently. They seem to deal with situations a little bit differently. Uh, their personality is a little bit different. I, I want what they have. I, I want that. May I be transparent with you this morning? I use that word rather than honest because you expect me to be honest. Every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody, and I'll invite them to Calvary, and they'll say, well, does so-and-so go there? i got a decision to make, because I know so-and-so. Their whole question 
many times is this. If so-and-so goes there, I either want to go or I don't. Sadly, when I get the question, does so-and-so go there, it's probably because they don't. My response is, not everybody's like so-and-so. Most people are just like me. You want to come. <laughs> now, here's the deal, folks. We, we need to show others Jesus. And I'll tell you what. If Jesus attended this church and lived in our community, I'd want to go to his church, wouldn't you? Amen. Are you still in Matthew 28? I've jumped around. I've not ex exegeted the text well this morning. That was not my intention. But there's one more thing that I want to point out to you. And it's in verse 16, 17. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love the transparency of Scripture. You ever been to the place that you just wondered, struggled, even with your relationship with God? Now the word that's used here for doubted refers more to a hesitation than to an unbelief. And I'm convinced that these disciples weren't sure what to do at this point. They'd seen Jesus following the resurrection already. But maybe they were afraid because they didn't know how he was going to respond to them. I mean, the disciples, as you read post-resurrection, didn't have it all together. And for you and I to say that, man, they got it right after they discovered that Jesus was alive would be an untruth. Even Peter said, I'm just going fishing. I'm going to forget all the rest of this stuff. I'm going fishing. Can I tell you, when you don't have it all together, Jesus still loves you? Maybe they simply didn't know how to respond to Jesus in this situation. They were confused about how to behave in the presence of the supernatural. <laughs> I'd like to think that's it. But the whole point is, the disciples didn't have it all together either. They were just like you and me. And yet Jesus still said to them, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth, and I will be with you always, even unto the end. Aren't you thankful that he has all authority and he will be with us always, and even in our confusion in the middle, he's still God. Isn't that great? So here are the truths. We must know who Jesus is. Say the word no. Do you know who Jesus is this morning? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you been born again in the family of God? Do you know you have eternal life? If not, that's where you start. We need to grow in Jesus. Say the word grow. 
Yeah. Develop and continue to mature and be less like ourselves and, and more like the Son of God. And we need to show who he is. Say the word show. <laughs> yeah, there we go. What are you showing? Others about Jesus. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. Boy, we could talk about that too, couldn't we? And that's not just geographical locations. That's demographics. And there are a lot of people out there who, who need to know something about Jesus. I am so thankful for the people who have built into my life. <laughs> I'm thankful for Bob and Sylvia Will. I'm thankful for Bob Domikos. I'm thankful for Don Stickler. I'm thankful for you folks because you've built into my life and you've helped me. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Helping each other. Be less like ourselves and more like the Son of God.